If you got your Bibles, let's open them up. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And if you're there, go to verse 12 real quick. Check If you don't have them, no worries. We've got it on the screen. But we're in 2 Corinthians chapter, 12, chapter 3, verse 12. This is what it says. Therefore, having such hope, gosh, I love that Paul. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Mm, I love that. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. And some of you guys are like, I don't know what he's talking about. Let me make it make sense. So uh, there's two distinct parts of the Bible that believers talk about. The first one is called the Old Testament. The second one marks the coming of Jesus Christ him dying on the cross. It's called the New Testament. During the Old Testament, there was this crazy story. If you've ever heard of Moses parting the Red Sea, you've heard of the guy that Paul is talking about. Paul, who is the writer of 2 Corinthians, is talking about here in verse 13 when he says, and we are not like Moses. We're not like Moses. Now, Moses was a great hero uh, to anybody who believes in Jesus. But one thing that he did that wasn't so hero-like is back in those days before Jesus came, um, what happened is if you wanted to meet with God, you couldn't come to view on a Thursday night and just be like, Holy Spirit, do it again. And you, like That's not how it worked. You had to go to a dude who was set apart to help you meet with God in order for you to connect with God. Now what happened was Moses was that dude. And what happened was when he met with God, his face would be bright, super, super bright, like, like unimaginably bright. It, it, it was just, you couldn't take it because his face lit up so, so much. And at first, he put the veil over his face so that he wouldn't hurt anybody's eyes. But if you go back and look in the Old Testament, the, the reason why he kept it there is not the same reason why he put it there in the first place. The reason why he kept it there, if you go back and look at the scripture, is because he didn't want the people of Israel to see when this man of God was starting to lose the light that he was so famous for. See, back in those days, you met with God when he wanted to meet with you. So Moses didn't get to like pick and choose like, hey, God, come in this place right now. And God was there. God decided when he wanted the burning bush to burn. He decided when he wanted to speak to Moses and talk about his speech impediment. He decided all of these things and when he wanted to meet with Moses. So what Moses would have to do was to pretend to his followers. I know people are human in the Bible too, right? He's pretending. I'm sorry. But he had to pretend to his followers that he was still the same Moses and still meeting with God in hopes that they keep following this man of God. Now, Paul recognizes this for what it was and says, that's not how it is anymore. We don't have to cover our face, one, to hide God's glory, because you're image bearers, first of all, if nobody's told you just yet. You're an image of God. Be thankful. You could have been a dog. I don't know. Uh, 
But first, we don't have to cover our face because, uh, because we want to keep the glory from hurting people. But also, second, we don't have that fading glory type of concept anymore. Now that we've ushered in a new covenant, the glory of God doesn't leave us. But let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. So that's what he's talking about when he's talking about fading away. But their minds were hardened. He's talking about the people of Israel. But their minds were hardened for this, for until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it, it is removed in Christ. Because it is removed by this new covenant. Now, you don't have to cover your face to hold the glory in or to hide it. You are gifted with a new covenant, with a new type of glory. And you'll see here in a second. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. He's talking about the Israel, Israelites at the time. But whenever, check this out. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Wow. He's getting all metaphorical on us. So Moses actually had a veil. Now he's talking about a different veil. He's talking about spiritual bondage right here. He's talking about people who live without the true knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And when you live like that, you are living in bondage. Most people think religion is rules and regulations and a bunch of chains and it just holds you down. They're wrong. Religion is the only thing that's going to set you free. Change that. Christ is the only thing that's going to set you free. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's an opportunity to walk in genuine freedom, amen? So that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about right here. Now keep reading, keep reading. It says, now the Lord is the spirit, and I love this, and where the spirit of the Lord is, and y'all better say yes, hallelujah, or something, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, amen? But we all, with unveiled face, this is the encouraging part. So if you're not smiling, you can start now. But we all with unveiled face beholding as, a, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. I don't see enough smiles. You're a mirror. You don't have to cover that, that glory up anymore. You just reflect it. Boom. You're image bearers. Beautiful people are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the, from the Lord, the Spirit. Tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about that veil. I want to talk to you a little bit about that spiritual bondage that we all can find ourselves in from time to time. And I want to talk about freedom. So if you've been here since last week, we've only had one view this semester. Um, we kind of talked about this idea of cope, but really we weren't talking about the idea of how to cope. We were talking about why cope is not what you're supposed to do, but you're supposed to overcome. Today we're talking about uh, why addiction and why bondage is so prevalent in our culture, but we're also talking about freedom. The way I like to make notes when I think about subjects like this, and I don't know why I do this, but I'm, I'm kind of a critical thinker. Is anybody else a critical thinker? Do you like analyze what people comment on your Instagram? Like, are you, are you super analytical like me? I am like that, okay? So when I take notes, um, and when I write messages, I always, I don't always, but for some reason, uh, uh, during this 
three-part series, uh, and I thought it was really artistic. I was like, it's super duper like artsy, so you wouldn't get it anyway. I don't know. Um, but when I when I started thinking about this 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 series, it was always the the problem first, because our minds, for some reason, and you'll find out kind of here today, we're attracted to dysfunction for some reason. So my hopes are that if you resonate with that word, you're going to hear the truth of what happens in the spirit when you let that go. So yes, you can title it addictive, but I want you to put a slash, make it super artsy. Everybody say, I'm artsy, I'm a creative, okay? Put a slash, Mark, and I just want you to write freedom. I want you to write freedom. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for being in this place tonight because you are. Holy Spirit, move. I pray that you're anointing this place even as we speak, even as we pray. God, fill this place with your presence. Holy Spirit, touch somebody's heart that needs to be touched and let them know that this is real. This is real. God, we love you so much that the words of my mouth and let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Holy Father, Yahweh, we love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can I be honest about something really quick? Can I be real about something? I tend, I don't know why I do this, but I tend to rationalize my terrible behavior, okay? Like, I don't know if you're like this. I don't know if I have any other uh, people out there that are, that are anything like me, but for some reason, I tend to rationalize uh, the things that I do that make zero sense. I'll make it make a little bit more sense than I just made it here. Uh, this is probably a good example. Okay. Does anybody know, if you're from middle, if you went to middle school, you'll know what I'm talking about. Does anybody know what chopping is, chopping on somebody? Do you know what that is? Do you know what roasting on somebody is? Do you know what schoolyarding on somebody means? Okay. Um, I don't know why, but God has given me a natural gift to do this. <laughs> like, okay, and, and this is truth. It's not even really my fault, Okay. <laughs> Like, I didn't ask for this gift. Like, he just kind of deposited it into my spirit, and it comes out even when I don't mean it to, okay? I, and I don't really have a way to control it. If I see you wearing jeans that aren't skinny, I'm going to be like, hey, bro, it's not 2001. Put on some real clothes. Like, I don't... And the truth is, the truth is, I don't even really like what I'm saying. It just kind of comes out, okay? And whenever somebody calls me on it, uh, whenever somebody calls me on it, I'm like, uh, talk to God. It's a, it's a spiritual gift. I don't even, like, I didn't ask for this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could be in the middle of my devotion, and if you walk through without some skinny jeans, I'm going to talk about you. Like, like, he's working on my heart, and I'm still like, ah. And I don't even really know why, but when it happens, I never just accept responsibility as, like, I'm never just like, man, I'm a real jerk. I'm always like, God's giving gift, you know, okay? That's just how it's got to be. Um, and for some reason, I tend to, like, rationalize what I know to be wrong. Like, it's not as if I don't know that roasting you until you cry is a bad thing. I just don't think it's a bad thing while I'm rationalizing it and it just happens to keep going and and this is not just in my my uh my tendency to roast or schoolyard people it's not just there I'll, I'll give you another prime example okay I've been married almost two years amen God is good to the most beautiful woman in the 
world. She is my world. I love her so much. Two years has been great. And about this time, you guys applaud to let her know that I love her, okay? Why don't you applaud to let her know that I love her? Makes sense. Um, in marriage, you learn a lot of different things. Um, one of the things you learn really quickly is that you have, you have now said yes to a person that will call you on all of your junk, okay? Um, so you just have to know, right? So uh, when we first got married, I was working out a good bit. I was trying to get ready, you know what I'm saying? I wanted to, like when we went on honeymoon, I wanted to be able to go to the pool and be like, yeah, yeah, woo, baby, you like what you think, woohoo. And, and I, I, I did okay, you know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't actually see an ab, but like I didn't have a gut. Um, so like I was working out two a days, I was meal prepping, I had this thing called a six pack, and it has like six different meals that you're eating and they're all grilled chicken and sweet potatoes, you know? And like I was meal prepping and I was taking uh, BCAs and creatines and proteins and sm smoothie kings and all, like I was, I was doing my thing, and it was great. And my wife, um, uh, she never like said, "Oh, hey, babe, I like your bod." But like, she was never like, "Man," you know. Like, so I sort of felt good about myself. So anytime I woke up and my wife was up before me and like was brushing her teeth or something, like I would walk in. Um, even if I went to sleep in a shirt, I'd take the shirt off. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's early marriage. Like, even if I went to sleep with a shirt, I'd take the shirt off and I'd walk in the bathroom, get ready to brush my teeth, and I would just, like, look at myself and be like... Uh, hey. <laughs> Good morning to you, you know? And she's like, are you talking to you or me? It's like, both of you guys, you know? Um, but... I was kind of proud of, of what I had accomplished. So like I would come to the mirror and kind of do fake poses. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're trying to, you're trying to pose, but you don't really want people to know you posing. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm definitely flexing my, my pec right now, but it looks like my hand's just on the counter, you know? Um, that's how the first year of our marriage went, right? I flexed a lot. Well, uh, recently, recently, um, I kind of fell off the wagon. Uh, it's been like four months since I've lifted anything. Um, I play basketball twice a week, but I don't play defense. I just shoot. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't even know how to spell cardio. You, like, so uh, needless to say, underneath the grease-looking leather jacket, there's not much to behold. You know, like, it's just kind of normal, you know what I mean? Um, not terrible, just normal. Um, but act like, like as this is happening, I'm still, I don't know why, but I'm still kind of like sort of flexing in the morning. You know what I'm saying? It's like, boom. It's like, that's a gut. <laughs> Not saying I'm, I'm going to get back on it. I'm, it's about to be the Daniel Fast. So I'm going to be doing work, so it's fine. But like, I'm still kind of flexing to my wife. And I made the mistake recently of asking her what she thought. And I saw, I was like, baby, okay, like I come in there, I'm like, boom, sapow, sapow, pow, boom, what's up? And I like may want to, <clears throat> and I was like, so, um, I, I, don't, I was like, baby, I don't look that out of shape. And she was like, well, and my wife is the nicest person in the world, so she's not going to be like, baby, you have love handles. You know, like, like, she just was like, well, 
And she can't lie either because she's that great of a Christian. So she can't be super real, but she also can't lie. So she was just kind of like, well, I mean, I mean. I was like, baby, you trying to say I got a stomach? And she was like, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. And I just left the rest of the day and cried. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the rest of my day was ruined um, because my wife inadvertently said I had a tummy. Uh, but the whole time I'm like justifying my bad behavior I'm like well you know why I haven't worked out because I've been providing for us girl <laughs> and life is real tough you know what I'm saying you ain't never had to bend to the hard knocks you know what I'm saying I grew up in the suburbs but like but, but I was just like baby like and you know why I've been eating bad because you ain't cook oh, oh you know what I'm saying <laughs> Even though she cooks every day, I'm like, well, you didn't cook six meals a day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. But I just start rationalizing my bad behavior because I can't just accept the fact that whatever I'm doing is messed up. And honestly, I kind of like eating terrible and not going to the gym. Can I be real? So I rationalize it. <laughs> I rationalize it a, a, a host of different ways that just don't make sense. And honestly, I find myself doing this even in my life. So, so it, doesn't, it doesn't just stop at the gym. It doesn't matter where it necessarily is. I, I just find myself in this habit, and I, and I don't know if you find yourself in a similar habit, where I just seem to rationalize the things that I do even when I know uh, they may not be right. Even, even when I know that, that what it is that I'm doing currently is, is dead wrong. I, I seem to, to, to rationalize it to try to help it make sense and make me feel a little bit better about what it is that I'm doing at the time. Do you ever find yourself in a similar predicament, especially in, a, in, in your spiritual life? Have you ever been there before where you know that the relationship that you're in right now isn't the one that God has set out for you, but you rationalize it, right? He's super cute, right? I mean, she has a great Insta feed. I don't know. She likes to work out, which is the dumbest reason to date anybody. Don't ever do that. Um, but, but we find different ways to rationalize what we're doing at the current moment, even though we know that it's totally against the plan that God has laid out for us, or even just totally against conventional knowledge. We, we tend to rationalize what we're doing to make ourselves feel a little bit better. And don't don't beat yourself up too much. This is human, okay? I'm just saying that, that it's not just believers and it's not just non-believers. It's humans in general that find themselves a little bit more comfortable in dysfunction. Like for some reason, I don't, I don't really know why, but even believers as well as unbelievers, we find ourselves a little bit more comfortable when things are going a little bit crazy, Right? Have you ever met those type, this type of person that's like, they, they work way, way better when the pressure's on? It, they, like they only study at 4 a.m.? You know what I'm talking about? It's like they've had six weeks to study, but they blow you off because they're like, oh, no, I got to study. You're like, you should have been doing this a long time ago. And they're like, I know, I just got to get it done. Okay, I got, it's 4 a.m. And, and they always have to tell you that they've been pulling all-nighters. It's like, so what? You've known about the test for six weeks. You didn't have to pull an all-nighter, but they wear like a badge of honor. Man, I've just been up for like 36 hours. I've had a Red Bull and two coffees and no food, none. And everybody else is just like, you're dumb. <laughs> but for some reason, 
People just work better when things are in chaos. You know what no one ever says? Man, I just really love healthy. I'm going to stay in healthy. Everybody's always like, man, I love working under pressure. I like to grind. I like to get it. I want to bop, bop, bop. I just want to, yeah. But nobody's ever like, man, just balance, health, spiritual health, physical balance. I don't want to be too big. I just want to be like normal, and I want to be healthy, and I want to be able to run when I need to run, and I want to be able to swim if I need to swim. I just want to be balanced and healthy, okay? I want my finances to be healthy. I just, I want to be, I want to be rich. No, it's like, people always want the extreme. They never just want to be healthy. They always want some sort of dysfunction going on in their life. It's as if they don't know that it has been said by the great philosopher, Mo Money, Mo. They don't, it's like they operate in, in this place where, where they know that conventional wisdom makes sense but they decide to operate in dysfunction. And, and honestly, it, it is human nature. It is human nature. And, and the truth is, the reason this happens in our spiritual life is because the Bible says we are born into sin and we're shaped in iniquity. So what's happening from, from the very beginning of birth, when you come out of the womb, what's happening is you are already in bondage. You're already addicted and you don't even know you're addicted. The word addicted just simply means you're enthusiastically searching after a specific thing or action. You're just really, really about something. And when you're born, guess what you're really, really about? Sin. That's the state of affairs in the world. So if you walked into this room and you thought, oh man, he's going to talk about sexual sin. Well, I don't deal with that. I'm not addicted to anything. You're wrong because I, I promise you every person in here is addicted to something. We, we are all, there, there's always, without the Holy Spirit, there's always bondage happening, even when we don't know it. And Paul is addressing this overarching bondage when we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When he talks about this veil, when he talks about removing this veil, what he's really talking about is removing the bondage that sin, death, and fear had on us before Jesus came and died for, for us. But the thing that Paul introduces into this narrative is, is, is that you don't have to keep living with bondage. You don't have to keep living inside of this dysfunction. And Ben, you guys aren't ready yet. I'm not, I'm not even asking for y'all. It's not even close. Don't worry about it. Um, but, but you don't have to keep living inside of this dysfunction. What you need to do in this moment is to understand that there is a veil, there is bondage happening, and the only way you can remove it is through the Spirit of God. And that's what Paul is talking about here in this specific passage. And I want you to understand this because it's so very important. If you're ever going to understand freedom, you have to understand bondage. See, wherever you look, the world is telling you to live addicted. The world is telling you to live in slavery. The media is telling you to be enslaved to a product. If it's, if it's not Coca-Cola, it's a, a shoe brand, or it's whatever. They show you images and they tell you, you need to be enslaved to this. You need to have more of this, more of that, more of this, more of that. Instagram is telling you, you need to be addicted to this type of body. You need to be addicted to this type of lifestyle. There's so many things that are telling us what we should be addicted or, 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 or enslaved to. The American dream says, you need to be addicted, you need to be embodied bondage to comfort. You need to get that 401k right and you need to be comfortable your whole life. I don't care if it's against the entire Bible. I want you to live in comfort because that's the American dream. That's what we're chasing. 
Depression tells you you're supposed to be addicted to this life that you can't get out and you're, you're stuck in this, in this mode where nothing's good enough and, and you'll never be good enough and I can never get my thoughts better and I can never get my thoughts higher. There, there are so many things in our world that's screaming at us to live in bondage. And Paul is addressing that here in 2 Corinthians. He's saying, I understand that so many of you have been living in this bondage. And here's the trick. There's even believers living in similar bondage. So, so most people are living in bondage to these, these materials or, or even, or even to, to sex or all these different things or drugs. Or like, like, uh, there's a lot of people living with addictions to something, but believers don't even know that they're living in bondage. And Paul is addressing them too. What is he talking about? He's talking about Jews that have recently converted because there's believers in the church of Corinth that are in bondage to a different way of thinking about the grace of God. And the truth is, if you've even thought about God, this thought has crossed your mind. What is Paul talking about? I'm glad you asked. You asked incredible questions. What is he talking about? He's talking about this idea that these Jews and so many of us have that the grace of God is only as good as our ability to follow the rules. We even live in bondage to how we think about God. That in itself has kept us locked up away from freedom. But Paul says, hang on, hang on one second. To everybody living in bondage, there is a way out. You don't have to live, you don't have to live addicted anymore. You don't even have to live enslaved to your thought of Christianity because let me tell you something right now if nobody's ever told you. If that is how we, we live, that the grace of God is only dependent on our ability to follow the rules, we'll never make it. We'll never make it. But the word of God screams something so different. He says, but listen, there's freedom there's freedom in the Spirit. There's freedom when you receive the Spirit of God. You know, like, like one of the ways that I had to break myself of thinking, and I have to do this, I have to do this sometimes almost daily, is I have to stop thinking about Christ like a credit card. I have to stop thinking about Christianity and the grace of God and sin like a credit card. Because here's what I'll do if I'm not careful. This is the type of thinking I get myself into. I think that, that, that the grace of God is a credit card, and when I make a mistake, I charge it. Boop. I make a mistake, I charge it again. Boop. And then the way that my mind works, and this is because I'm broken, the way that my mind works is that I have to atone for that sin with interest, right? And since I never actually have enough money or good actions to pay back the balance in full, I just keep accumulating more interest. Boop. And in my mind, I'm like, man, if I could just feel bad enough for the bad stuff that I've done, maybe God will actually forgive me. If I could feel bad enough, if I could pay back this, this credit card of grace with regret, maybe the balance will get off. Maybe if I just think about it real hard and just beat myself up and talk about how terrible I am and, and maybe even stop serving once in a while or maybe stop coming around my friends that are, that are going to church and that are involved with Jesus. Maybe if I just separate myself from that for a while because I'm dirty and I'm messed up, maybe God will look on me with pity and be like, man, you've beaten yourself up long enough. It's okay, buddy. I'll pay off your debt. That makes no sense, but I think it every single day. Every time I mess up, I go, 
Well, maybe if I just feel regret enough, it'll get rid of this shame that I feel. It's impossible. Young people, listen to me. That doesn't work. It never will work. And if you continue to believe that, you will always be in bondage. You will always be addicted to the thing you've been trying to get unaddicted to. You'll never make it out if that's what you believe. Because here's the truth. God didn't bankrupt heaven to pay back your debt in increments. God didn't pull the son of glory off his throne and nail him to a cross so you can pay back your debt with incremental feelings of regret. No. He took your credit card and cut it up and said, his bill's on me. And that's the truth of the word. But we've been living in bondage for so long, we don't even know what health looks like. Even when you're offered freedom, what we say is, nah, nah, nah. I don't really know about freedom because I ain't never had it. But what I have had is dysfunction. So I guess I'll choose the latter because I don't really know what that looks like. I'm so scared that it might actually be good for me. I'll just stick inside of my credit card thinking about grace, even though I know it doesn't work because I still feel terrible about myself because I don't want to accept freedom because I don't know if it actually is going to work and if it actually could love somebody that's as bad as me. Truth hurts. It does. It works. The grace of God is enough to erase every single thing that you've done. You just got to stop beating yourself up and accept it. Man, we live, we live in, in this constant state of pulling with the enemy like he's actually in control. It's like, it's like we've been set free. We're like Air Bud, still running back to the clown. We won't go to the good guy. There's so much here for us. There's so much good that God wants to give us. But even when we're believers, we still run back to that credit card mentality as if we can guilt our way back to forgiveness. That doesn't work. The grace of God is the only thing that's going to get you clean and that's going to set you free. Somebody better say amen in this place tonight. We're in, a, we're in, a, in an age that desperately needs free believers. We're in an age that desperately needs free believers. And if we look at the word of God, this is not Jared talking. This is simply the word of God. If we look at the word of God, you can argue with me, but you can't argue with this. It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And let me read a little bit further. Because this is important. This is how we're going to wrap it up. But we all, with unveiled face, unveiled face, the veil is coming off. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Justice from the Lord, the Spirit. Listen, let me break down what's happening in Scripture right here, okay? When we're talking about removing that veil, we're talking about pulling off the thing that protected the glory and the thing that hid it when it faded away. Why? Because if you have the Spirit of God in your heart, 
The glory is not an inanimate object. It's living. The glory is alive. You don't have to go anywhere to meet the glory. You just got to call them. And there's so many believers living without the knowledge of the Holy Spirit in their life. And they're missing out on living free and constantly being put back in a bondage by a master who's already been defeated. You're still going back and looking at that same stuff on the internet. Even though that master has been broken, defeated, killed, you're still going back to a master that has no powers and saying, hey, shackle me up. You're going back to that same relationship that you know is in dysfunction. Even though that, that, that master of power and sin and death and, and fear, he's been defeated, you still go back to him and say, hey, man, shackle me up. You still go back to that same substance over and over and over and over again. Even though he's been defeated, that master has been destroyed. Jesus rose from the grave. He rose with all power. But you still go back to that substance and you say, hey, man, here, here you go. Shackle me up. You still go back to that same anxiety, that same depression, even though God has defeated it definitively. And you said, hey, man, do me a solid. Can you put me in some chains? You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't, and here's another one that I deal with heavily. You don't have to deal with the bondage of what other people think either. There's so many people that are almost healthy. If it's not for what a life like this at a church looks like to their friends, if it weren't for that, they'd be so good. But they want to look a certain way to keep up a specific facade because they're enslaved to somebody else's thoughts. What a pitiful way to live. And I'm talking to myself. Hey, man, I know that God has defeated anybody else's hold over my life. I know that I don't have to be enslaved to what you think or what you think or what y'all think because I know what my father says about me. But it's Thursday, so hey, brother, here you go. Whatever you think about me is gospel. Go ahead, shackle me up. We got to stop living like we're enslaved and start praising God like we're free. There's freedom in this place. And I don't know what you walked in with, what type of bondage you've walked in with. But it doesn't have to stay. You weren't created to be bound. You weren't set free to get put back in chains. What kind of father would he be if he set you free to put you back in chains? That doesn't make any sense. We don't have to live like this anymore. We don't have to be like this anymore. We are not slaves to sin. We are not slaves to death. Chains are broken. Fear is bowed. And we can live in the true hope of Jesus Christ in this place tonight. Is that an amen or is that an amen? Come on. So tonight, every head bow, every eye close. Listen to me, young people. If you're in this place... I don't care if you're one of my leaders. I don't care if you're grown. 
Freedom in Jesus doesn't have an age limit. And if tonight is a moment that you need a turning point, God is pleading with you to respond. And check it out. This is not one of those angry pastors screaming at you. Because here's what the Word of God says. It's not the wrath of God that leads us to repentance. The Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord. It's the sweetness of His Spirit that brings us back in the right relationship with Him.